Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Kaylin Capra-Thomas. She is the author of a lovely new book from Deep Vellum Press, Iguana, Iguana. And if you were noticing, it got a mention in the New York Times just a couple of weeks ago on the little column about new publications, which is pretty cool. Uh, She's poet in residence at the Idlewild Arts Academy back in 2018 to 2020, and received awards from the Raleigh Review, the Baltimore Review, and others. And of course, she's got a lot of published poems, like all of our guests do. And uh, her residencies included the Vermont Studio Center up in Johnson, Vermont, just a couple of hours from where I'm sitting right now here in Bennington. And so uh, you've looked a lot of different places, and I thought that'd be a nice place to start. Do you think very specifically about how that influences you? I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't think that I bring that specificity to the composition of a poem, just because I think like so many other poets, most of the poems start in and emanate from a place of uncertainty. Um, but I think if you, if you read the book, you can definitely tell that place has had a, has had a big impact on, um, on my psyche and on my poetics for sure. Um, and, and having moved a lot in the last 10 years or so, uh, you know, I'm in Missouri right now and I'm coming up on, this will be the longest I've lived anywhere since I left the town where I did undergrad, which was Burlington, Vermont. Um, so yeah, constant movement and having to essentially, reinvent oneself over and over, having to reintroduce oneself over and over to different people all the time. I think that that's, um, it, it sort of puts you in the position of always looking at yourself from the outside. Um, and I definitely, definitely think that, yeah, that frequent movement has had a big impact and the fact that it, it means that I've sort of come to really fantasize about uh, rootedness and and home, um, which I think is kind of a common common experience amongst my generation, especially just because a lot of us are, um, you know, pretty mobile, looking for work. 
Yeah, it's pretty much the norm. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And also you mentioned before we came on, I asked you if you do teaching with your current activities, you're finishing up your PhD. We'll delve into the academic world just slightly. What's mm. the best thing anybody ever told you about writing poems? Oof. Oh man, that is that is a tall order. <laughs> um I've heard I've heard a lot of great things about writing poems. Um gee, I'm trying More than to... one's okay. <laughs> What's that? More than one is okay. <laughs> More than one is okay. Okay, awesome. Oh, um all right. So are you could could you give me a little bit more of a framework, like something about craft or something about like a philosophy of poems? Well, you want to write, since you're already writing poems, you want to write better poems. Right. What should you do? Okay. Um, so everyone will tell you that you should read a lot of poems if you want to write better poems. And I'll 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 echo that. Um I think that. I think that, I mean, one, as a poet, I feel like morally <laughs> obligated to plug reading poetry, um, both as, um, both as, you know, a way to hone your craft, but also just as a great thing to do. I think that it, it can really be good for your brain and your soul and your heart. Um, so definitely reading a lot of poems. And then also, I think, letting letting go of the idea of good poems and bad poems especially during the composition process like when you sit down to write just trying to let go of intention trying to let go of um you know the desire to write a mm -hmm. complete singular perfect unit in one sitting um i think that sometimes because poets can sit down and write a whole, you know, unit of poetry mm. in a sitting. We sometimes feel like we have to do that and that the outcome should be good, but yeah, just letting, letting it be messy on the page. And then, you know, going back to that, going back to that idea of starting from uncertainty, um, you know, just following the poem instead of following an intention, I think is the best way to surprise yourself when you're writing, which I think is the best feeling and the best indication that you're, you're getting somewhere, you're doing something. Um, if you come up with a line that you never expected to write, then I think you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Okay. That sounds like good advice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, I'm always looking for that for people who teach and mm -hmm. have to tell students things. And you, you always have a few tidbits that you like to regularly share. Yeah. And I think that one about um, intention is especially important for new poets because, you know, one of the biggest blocks I think to to teaching yourself how to write a poem is is that idea of like I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write the poem about love or something else that's huge and impossible yeah. to really encapsulate with a poem because there are so many um you know so many meanings to it so I think that you know focusing on something smaller and more on earth and less conceptual um in terms of, you know, whatever that subject is, basically just, you know, not being committed to a subject, treating subjects as jumping off points or um, yeah. like Richard Hugo would say, triggering towns. Oh yeah. I remember that book. Yeah. 
Hey, so well, well, let's hear a poem. Oh, okay, awesome. And we'll um, come back to talking about poetry. <laughs> yay, love talking about poetry. I like to start with the title poem because I think that it, um, well, it's a good place to start. Okay, so this is Iguana Iguana, Key West. Things crawl over me here, noceums and biting ants. They make me feel hospitable, like at last, I am a good host. Stop itching, I tell myself, we have guests. What is a guest, if not something that takes a little bit of your life? In the cemetery where I practice pedaling, sailing circles around the dead, iguanas sunbake and scurry the white slabs, the green length of them defiant drapery in death's pale parlor. I'm told they're invasive. Even their taxonomy, iguana, iguana, it's too much, too many iguanas. The William Carlos Williams of reptiles, or the man my mother loved after my father, Jim James, who chugged caffeine-free diet Pepsi and made his pecs dance, recited the three words of Italian he learned from Sylvester Stallone, ti amo, and andiamo. He once argued with me over my stubborn belief that 10,000 was the same thing as 1 million. I was never good with numbers. He was never good with kids. He built things and made my mother laugh. Maybe too much. Maybe for the wrong reasons. During cold snaps, the iguanas freeze and fall like stoned fruit from the trees, wake only once their core has warmed. I won't be here to see it. It's the off season now, August, everything dank and hot-blooded, which is what I think my mother liked about Jim. Something raw about him. The pink scars were his own mother's boyfriend, stubbed out cigarettes on his arms, or how he called, here kitty kitty, nightly, into the dark after the cat ran away. She was astray to begin with. We lured her into our lives with milk, named her Fitty Fat the Kitty Cat, let her eat and fuck and kill as much as she wanted, litters of kittens and kibble and dead birds piling up. What else is there to say but everything we've said before, over and again? Iguana, iguana, Italian stallion, here kitty kitty, andiamo, Jim James. What is a child, if not something that takes a little bit of your life? He wasn't a bad man. He made my mother laugh. That <laughs> is so good at doing what poetry does, uh, reflecting the complexity of your feelings toward him. Mm. I think, you know, you'd have to read it more than a couple of times, which I have. And it's just, it's very interesting. And, and you told me before we came on that that uh, sort of, characterizes the collection or it says something about the collection. Uh, say, tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so I was on the hunt for a collection title, um, had a couple dead ends and I think it had been suggested to me to call it Iguana Iguana. And I thought, I mean, the collection isn't really about iguanas. <laughs> I thought that that <laughs> might be misleading. Um, but when I came back to it a little while later, I started to see how, you know, it's a poem that's about doubling. It's a poem that's about recursiveness, sort of going back not only um, in language, but in memory. And 
um, layering the present onto the past and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And the collection is also largely about other kinds of doubling, especially thinking about alternative versions of the self. Um, what might the self who made different decisions than I actually made um, be like or be doing right now? So it it wound up feeling like an actually really fitting title. And um, and so I, I stuck it on there and there's an iguana on the cover and people might think it's about iguanas, but that's okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, when you explained it, it makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> when I looked up iguanas, I mentioned this, I looked up iguanas purely. I wasn't too sure uh, where we were going. You know? Yeah. They're yeah. Strange, strange little creatures. They're strange anyway. little creatures. And I, I do appreciate that about them. And once somebody in Key West, I was at the studios of Key West, um, once somebody told me that they when it gets too cold, they just freeze and fall from the trees. I thought that that was just such a wild image. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I saw a lot of them in the cemetery where I was teaching myself to ride a bike at 30. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they were, they were kind of a big part of my experience there. That's another poem, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's in there, but yeah, it's kind, yeah. Of, kind of muted. Yes, it is. Yeah. We went, you went back and forth on this a little bit. I asked, what's the best advice you ever received? And <laughs> what do you tell students? Is there is there anything we missed in there? Well, uh, so what do I tell students? Yeah, I think I think I I covered what I think is one of the most important things for students, which is just um following the poem instead mm -hmm. of making the poem follow you. Um and then also so the poet Jamal May visited my classroom this spring. And he was talking about um, how we kind of tend to emphasize the act of, you know, typing or writing, handwriting mm. as as like the primary act of writing. Um, that composition mm -hmm. is what writing is. And he's, he was talking about how, you know, all of these other things that there's, there are all of these other things and experiences and actions that go into the creation of the poem. Like, you know, teaching myself to ride a bike in the cemetery, like that was integral to writing that particular poem. And so he would call that writing. Um, and so that made me think of um, a Beth Bachman snippet from an interview that she did some years ago where she said something to the effect of some days are for hunting and gathering and some days are for feast. So I think, uh -huh. you know, allowing yourself the time and space to just live your life and and play and have fun and just let those things inform the writing and that that is as valuable as the actual production of language mm -hmm. because i think that we we can we can definitely become consumed um with the, with notions of production and really um really center a lot of our own self-worth and feelings of value on what, on how much we've produced lately, which I think is, um, it can be really disheartening and, you know, we want to avoid things that are going to make us not want to, not want to write poems. And I think that putting too much pressure on yourself to, to always be writing. I know that a lot of people are like, you should write every day. And I'm like, no, nah. Yeah, maybe if that's, okay. <laughs> if that's your thing. <laughs> whatever makes them come. Right, exactly. Or, you know, opens the gate, whatever exactly. that is. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Oh, 
Well, that's that's good. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Getting something to write about, like living right. life, is, right. is a good idea. Uh, I've recently noticed um, once in a while finding old stuff going through notebooks. Mm. I find some really terrible stuff that I was able to fix and turn yeah. into something. And I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. I never consciously thought about that. Like, mm. wait a couple of years and see what, and go back and look at this. Not just totally. a couple of months, but you know, I'm going, whoa, that kind of sometimes that really works. Yeah, and I think that mystery. you know the the pressure to be consistently publishing can also be something that can be uh, yeah. something to wrestle with, right? Because I I think that there are so many poems that you know would would come into their full form if we were, if we just allowed ourselves to sort of put it aside for a while, however long it took, you know, yeah. I also write essays and I find that it takes me a really long time to write essays because a lot of times what the essay needs is something that I haven't lived or experienced yet. And so, you know, the, the essay isn't done until like five years later because what it really needed mm. was this piece of insight that I gained from something that I hadn't done yet when I started composing it. So I think Ooh. that poems can also be the same way, you know, like sometimes what the poem needs is not only time, but for you to just keep living and keep having new experiences and new ideas. Oh, I like that. That's a really interesting notion. Yeah. 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 You don't know what the poem needs. I mean, the poem has, yeah. What you said, that was very good. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just hey, got to keep living. Tell, I do. I like to do this too. Now, when I read through the book mm -hmm. or talking to somebody here, mm -hmm. and I always want what we do to be different than other interviews that you do. I figure the way to be idiosyncratic is to just mark the poems that jumped out at me. Mm, okay. And I'm not saying you have to read any of them, but if you want to read any of them, I noticed the hawk mm. and the, uh, all my exes live in this poem. Great title. All my exes live in this poem. They yeah. got folks. And 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 oh also, we were younger then. Mm. I'm inclined to write poems like that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking back on what you did back, whatever. And wow. how, anyway, I just want to mention those. If any of those grab you or yeah. read what you want to read next. You know, I don't think I've ever read The Hawk. Um like in a reading or I mean I've read it out loud to myself but I don't think I've ever had an audience for the hawk so I'll read that one great the hawk a dying man flew west to visit his daughter they drove out of town together then drove back the daughter wrote things in a notebook the man adjusted his seat he had trouble getting comfortable since the cancer lived in his legs marrow they passed a rock face where someone had graffitied, some people care too much, beneath which someone else had added, it's called love. The daughter wrote this down in her notebook. The man side-eyed the driver of a passing truck, lifted two fingers in greeting. He said, sometimes when I'm traveling, I get a feeling like I could be home and that guy in his truck would still be right there. I'd be all the way in Cape Cod and this guy would be driving his Ford past Drummond, Montana either way. She crossed out a word and looked at her father, like it doesn't matter whether you're here or not. The father nodded. He seemed pleased, almost happy. She felt for a moment like she knew him. 
he'd be in his truck, that hawk over there would fly over that mountain and I'd be in Buzzard's Bay where it'd be raining or something. The daughter looked to the sky for his hawk. It circled and circled, massive wings never flapping. It was not a hawk, she realized, but a vulture. It dipped behind the tree line to make good on some nameless death, and they drove on. Yeah, I, I can't tell you why it jumped out at me, but it just, maybe I like hawks. <laughs> even, even though it wasn't a hawk. <laughs> I don't know if this is like a universal dad thing, but like my my dad and my stepdad are both people who, if they're driving and they see a hawk, like they have to point it out. They like get low over the steering wheel. Like, it's a hawk. Um, and so I don't know if this is, do you do this? <laughs> well, when my son and I, when he was young, when we lived in Chicago, mm. as a sanity thing to get out of the city, we did big road trips. And when we went out West, you know, we would count the, the falconiforms and try to figure out what they were. Of course, they're yeah. almost always, yeah. You know your basic red tail hawk, or or more often a turkey vulture, as in the poem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we definitely count them. It seems that it's what seems more like a wildlife spotting, I guess, is what it is. Mm. You know, it's a little more exciting than seeing. That's true. Uh, a lot of things. It's a little wilder. Than it, yeah, and and it, it is special to see a hawk. Like they're um, they're really cool creatures, yeah. and there's something about their I don't know solitariness like i never see more than one hawk together you know whereas like a vulture you know they are often i guess especially because they're drawn to carrion they'll be yeah. in oh, yeah. Packs. yeah 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 anyway yeah they seem they, I, I think they're very interesting we also would do field trips over to the mississippi for the bald eagles oh, yeah. uh, there are certain places where they would they really kind of gather you know yeah and so it's pretty exciting to see 50 of them in trees all along the river oh wow yeah uh, never you know, seen i like pigeons you know <laughs> yeah, that's anyway, wild. do another poem i want to show you okay. Okay. yeah let's have another poem okay um so it's my friend trisha's birthday today and oh. she appears in this poem called goat things so i wanted to read that oh great goat things when trish calls and reminds me that someone who gives freely and happily is called generous I think of the man on the mountain who watches and walks with the panting band of dusty goats. His name is Sam. The goats have names like joy and compassion, intuition. One walks over here and chews a bit of sagebrush. One stares at me with horizontal pupils, useful for head-hung hunted creatures. I'm not sure what joy is to a goat. Seeing everything? the good, tough sage leaves. I remember then a boy I knew whose family goat boxed the breath from his body with a quick kick to the chest. Not compassionate. Not, not compassionate. Goats do goat things, whatever those are. What are we good for? I mean, to each other. Why do we do that? Yeah, I remember that one. You have you have a you have a sneaky sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, Keeper. Yeah, it's all things that goats do. Oh, they're yeah. doing goat things. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. So, um, how do you know how long you're going to be where you are in Missouri? Yeah, are you almost finished? Are you going to be there a while or? 
I'm entering year three of a five-year program. So yeah, I'm not quite halfway through and yeah, so I've got a, I've got a good chunk of time left here, which is why, you know, by the time I'm done, this will be the place I've lived the longest in a really long time. Well, you've got time to maybe have another book. That's great. (laughs) No pressure because that's not good. (laughs) We know pressure is not good. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got other stuff in the works for sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't even touch on your other writing activities, So, <laughs> but you know, we're focused. Yes. Yeah. Very. Focused. Well, this has been really great. Uh, it was great hearing your poems, reading your book. Thank I'm you. so glad that Vellum Press publisher does yes. what they're supposed to do for promotion and They've got the word out there to, yeah. uh, Get your mention in the Times. Hey, how cool is that? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah really surreal. Um, really very good. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, future looks bright ahead. Thank you. Well, it's been great talking with you. We're talking with Kaylin Capra Thomas. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter, and I hope you'll be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, PoetrySpokenHere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, PoetrySpokenHere at gmail.com.